I was doing an interview, I think, with Australia way back when Deja Dead came out. And the interview asked, if there was a movie, who would you want to play Ryan? Just as you asked. And I said, oh, I think Rex Harrison. And there was this pause. And then we finished the interview and hung up. And I thought, oh, you idiot. You meant Harrison Ford, not Rex. <laughs> not my fair lady, Rex Harrison. <laughs> Rex Harrison was dead at the time. <laughs> anyway, that was... Welcome to the Gary Scott Thomas Show. Here's what we know. The podcast with unexpected conversations. Listen each week as we engage in unscripted conversations where we'll be just as surprised as you will be with where the dialogue goes. So join us each week and be privy to the captivating conversations that are sure to ensue. Here's your host, Gary Scott Thomas. Kathy Reichs is joining me with Here's What We Know. And listen, your, your, what do they call it? The CV? Is that what they call it now? I don't even know what it means, you know, but your resume is what we used to call it. CV is curriculum vitae, I think, but doesn't matter. That's so above my pay grade. That, <laughs> that's just way beyond what I'm capable of. But I, I, I encourage people to go to kathyrikes.com to see it because it's truly impressive. I mean, most people don't pack things into a life like you have. I mean. Come on, honestly. Well, I, I, I've gotten around. It, you know, keeps me off the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Were you always that driven? I mean, would, tell me about the eight-year-old Kathy Rikes. Oh, I was, um, yeah, I was probably a real pain in the ass as a kid. Um, I was very stubborn. I was very curious about science and nature. I collected snakes and bugs and things like that. Um, I didn't want to be playing with dolls. I wanted to be outside. Um, I think I was a leader. Um, I don't know. <laughs> what do you want to know? No, it's, it's just because it's, it's, it's just, a, I mean, was there anything there to show, right? I mean, so many people do. I mean, it's some, some people at age, they're, they're focused and you can look back and I mean, Mozart was Mozart at eight, right? But, but, was Einstein Einstein at eight? I don't know. You know, it, it seemed like it kind of developed later on. Uh, okay. And so that's what I was asking. I was not Einstein at eight. I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you're only, what is it? Only 100. You're, you're one of only 100 uh, what's certified by the American Forensic Anthropology Society. Yeah, I have to get out the list and count. I don't know how many certificates have been earned. Uh, some people have died off. There may be just a hundred of us right now. When I got my certificate, it, it, my certificate's number 36. So that shows how few there were back in the day when I actually sat for my board exams and became certified. You know, I'm sitting here in Silicon Valley and if you're, if you're number 36 at anything, wow, that means you're just doing really well. If you're 36 at Google, <laughs> or it means I'm really old, one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> no, I found you. I read the first Deja, uh, Deja Dead novel, and, and I found you and, and, and read all of them. And I used to, because I was, at the time, I would ride an exercise bike. And you know how dull it is. Yes. So I yeah. would take a book. That was my secret. I yeah. would take a book and read. And I found Deja Dead and just fell in love with the character. I remember the first scene. I can't remember all the books, but I remember the first scene because it just kind of stunned me. Somebody's skull was laying in a bucket and you were talking about how they died. And and I'm like... Well, putting it back together. 
She was gluing the pieces of the skull. Yes. And at the time I started, I was doing that. I was working on a case where I was gluing and it's tedious. You know, where you hold it, you have to glue it and then hold it and hold it and hold it and then easily put it in the sand. There's probably a better way today, but. Uh, maybe so, but I it just captured me because, you know, I grew up fans of the mysteries. I grew up fans of John D. McDonald and, you know, Agatha Christie and, and all the mysteries. And and with mysteries, it's all about the why and the who. Yes, yes. What you did was about the how, and you got to get grisly. I mean, okay. and, and it was so much fun because there is that there is that part of the human psyche that goes, well, they had a piece of metal shot through their head. Really? Ooh, what was that like? Yeah, exactly. Well, I do. I do put in detail. I never put in anything just for grisly sensationalism. It has to inform the reader and move the move the story forward. But I, I don't shy away from because I think my readers want to know what it's like at a crime scene or what it's like in an autopsy room. So I do give them details. Yeah. And it's and it's without the risk of especially with social media. We didn't have the YouTube back in 1997. Right. Yes. Uh, now you can see things that probably nobody should see. Then it was still the theater of the mind. And and I I was, I was captivated by how these things happen and what a crime scene was like and how you steal yourself. And, and I know you've been asked that a million times, but how do you steal yourself for what you're about to see? Well, you, you get used to it. Um... It takes a certain psychological makeup. It's not for everybody. That not just what you see, but what you what you smell and what you you know what you handle and what you dig into. <clears throat> you just have to be um, of of a psychological makeup that you can, and you have to maintain your objectivity, your scientific distance, without getting emotionally involved with each victim because you wouldn't be of any good to them if you became. But you have to still keep in mind that it's a human being. And treat that set of remains respectfully and hopefully get a name for that dead person and figure out what happened to them and get them back to their family. Well, that's what I love about The Bone Hacker, uh, the latest novel, is that, and I love always how you have a number of little subplots that go back and forth and through and out. And, uh, and, and the last book had the same thing, but this was... I loved how you, it was still bothering you, a case from early on, well, I should say you, Tempe, uh, a case from early on that had just, she had never been able to let go because the identity was never there. Yeah. Those are the ones that that, that bother you. I For a while, for decades, I had a little child in bones in my lab that we never could get identified. Eventually, by a fluke, you know, 20 years down the road, I finally, finally got that little, little boy ID'd. Wow, that's that's got to be such a weird sense of relief, sadness, and gratitude. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, well, I I have to because I love it, and I wrote myself a note. I wanted to ask you, where do you come up with some of the things that you talk about? And here, I'm going to tell you because I wrote it down. I wanted to make sure I did not get it wrong whatsoever. Okay. My favorite thing, and I said, okay, I got to ask her straight off the bat. Suck a freaking zombie bitch and it spawned. I don't know. It seemed appropriate for the character and the scene. I just started out small and then made it bigger. <laughs> I love Tempe. And, and that's the thing. The difference to me between Tempe in the books and the TV show is the Tempe in the books has always been whip smart, funny, and very social. 
and 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 I did not expect that. Some of those things, and, and you've always thrown in a line that I'm not expecting. I'm not expecting, you know, a eunuch at an orgy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the enthusiasm of a eunuch at an orgy. Oh my gosh! And and when I would just sit back and laugh, and of course my family, my 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 wife is like, "What are you doing?" Because she knows I'm reading a book called The Bone Hacker. Right. <laughs> and that's me. <laughs> well, that's you know I, that's one of the reasons I agreed to option my character to the people that I did to Hart Hansen and um, Barry Josephson for the show that became Bones is we were all on the same page. I had had other offers and they just they just weren't right. But one of the things we agreed on we wanted humor in the show. I put humor in the books. Well, we wanted to put humor in in the show, and that's hard. But when every book is dealing with violent death, every episode is dealing with dealing with violent death. How do you handle that? It has to be very delicately done. Interjecting the humor in it, and and I love the way the humor comes from the characters and not the event. Even though some of the you know some of the bones, some of the, and the TV show you find are humorously handled because it's just kind of like wow. But I it, in the books because I always tell everybody that it's they're t- don't confuse the two. Because they're so totally different, and but the humor, especially in the TV show, she's socially awkward. She's she's like she was the first Sheldon Cooper. There, there, you know, she was the one who would say stuff, and 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 it was like totally inappropriate, and and you know how she was saying it. But that's not the character in the book, and it's kind of funny. How do you decided to go to those divergent paths with that? Yeah, I think of book Tempe and TV Tempe. <laughs> book Tempe is older. Um, she's in the Carolinas and Montreal. Um, she's more socially suave, shall we say, polished than Book Tempe. Book Tempe's younger. She's taller. <laughs> she's in Washington, D.C. at the Jeffersonian. Um, and she's, yeah, she's very awkward. Um, part of that is the way uh, Emily chose to play the character. And I think if you watched all 12 seasons, 246 episodes, you'd be blown away by how Emily evolved that character over time, how that character grew and changed over time. Well, it was kind of cool on, I think it was on TBS or TNT, whoever does it the other day, they played the pilot episode and the final episode. Back oh my back. goodness. I would like to have seen that. I remember filming the pilot. We were so excited. And then a couple of years Way way into the series, we looked at the pilot and we we just about cringe. It was like, oh, really? <laughs> it was fun because it showed her coming back and her ex husband showing up in her apartment and Booth yeah. and her getting mad at Booth. And then the final episode where they're a couple and she's questioning, "Am I smart? And if I'm not smart, then what am I?" And and yeah. going through that whole change, it was yeah. it played well. It tied in. It, it there was no cringe. It Good. was like had, you could had, see the evolution. We had brilliant writers. The whole, the whole uh, you know, I'm not one of these authors who's going to say they took my work and they destroyed it. I had a wonderful experience. Everybody from the on-camera talent to the producers to the crew to, you know, the writers, everybody just was delightful. And we didn't have a lot of drama. We didn't have a lot of tension on the set like some shows do. And I think that's partly why we we lasted as long as we did. 
Well, the key is being a TV series, isn't it? I mean, if you take a book, Stephen King's the big example. If you take a book and then they turn it into what they want it into, there's no recourse. But with the TV show, you because you were creating something that was uniquely the TV show. Right, right. And, it, and you even wrote an episode, or uh, and you had to, you, that process was fascinating. You had to submit a script. Yes, and that was, I, I wrote multiple episodes, and that was shocking. The first time I wrote it, first of all, you, you do what's called breaking the story. You go into the writer's room, not right now, of course, you go into the writer's room, and there's a big white board, which is terrifyingly blank, and for our show, divided into six uh, acts. And then you just start throwing out ideas and you start brainstorming and jotting stuff up. And by the end of a week or two, you've got a very, very rough outline um, for your episode. For example, when I wrote, I think it was The Witch in the Wardrobe, I was given two directives. One is open with two, two skeletons and two is get Hodgins and Angela married. That's it. Otherwise, I could write, you know, whatever storyline, whatever plot I chose to write. So it was different from writing a book in that you had to get approval at multiple stages. Um, it's also different in that it boils down to dialogue. You don't have to put any description in there because the viewer sees that on the screen. But the other different thing is when you turn it in, um, the final script, they, they change everything. And the first time that happened to me, I thought, what did I do wrong? I went in, I talked to Hart. What did I do wrong? He said, no, 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 no. We rewrite every single script that the writers turn in. <laughs> because it, it may be economics. You've written a scene that's terribly expensive to film. Or maybe an actor that you'd counted on having is unavailable. There are a lot of different reasons that a script might be changed. How much fun was it to write? Or the TV show when you got to write characters who aren't in the books. Like, I would think Hodges would have to be... Yeah. You know, my favorite books... My, my favorite characters were Hodges and Sweets. I, I like... Those were... And I loved Angela, too. But Hodges and Sweets just were... They were going to they were gonna say something. Hodges with his attitude and Sweets was... Who talk about an evolution of a character. I mean, that had to be fun. Yeah, it was fun. And Hodgins was a lot of fun to write and also to be with. Hodgins um, is... T.J. Tyne is the best hugger... I've ever met. I mean, he gives incredible bear hugs too. He's just a really fun person, sweet, fun, kind person, as is Emily. Emily Deschanel is the most generous, kind person I've ever met. Well, I, I sit back and I, I enjoy it. I've always wanted to ask you, who would play Ryan in a movie? Or Because, yeah, you know, you got Celine Booth. Okay, Damien Boreans. He's not ugly. No, but he's not Ryan. He's not the way I was exactly. doing. I was doing an interview, I think, with Australia way back when Deja Dead came out. And the interview asked if there was a movie, who would you want to play Ryan? Just as you asked. And I said, oh, I think Rex Harrison. And there was this pause. And then we finished the interview and hung up. And I thought, oh, you idiot. You meant Harrison Ford, not Rex <laughs> Not my fair lady, Rex Harrison. <laughs> Rex Harrison was dead at the time. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that was... Even so. Rex Harrison in his prime wouldn't be Ryan. No, Harrison Ford in his prime would. Harrison Ford, if he could pull off the French swab. The, well, there's that. There's you that. know, and because Ryan, you, you talk about being able... I love Ryan is, here comes Tempe home from this horrific... 
crime scene smelling like death all over, and I'm cooking this masterful meal, and I'll wait for you to take a shower, mon cher. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah. then, and then I will say I will be romantic with you, even though you've had death all over you yeah, all well, day. That's probably why he wanted to take the shower. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, hey, take it easy on Ryan. All right, you scared me last book. Just take yeah. it easy on Ryan. Okay, all right, all right. Because if you haven't read that, I'm telling you, because he's just he's just so much butter with you. And and when you scared me like that, and you do that, you you do put characters in jeopardy. That I I. You know, I never know. That's the definition of a thriller, is that your protagonist or those close to your protagonist have to come under threat. One of the and, components of a thriller versus just a mystery. Well, Tempe, Tempe has her, you know, you put Tempe into way too much danger, too. You know. She puts herself in, more so in the early books. She would go out and do crazy things in the early books, things that you know, like digging up a body by herself. I would yeah. never do that. The police with whom I work would not appreciate me doing that. The evidence would be tainted. She doesn't do that anymore, but she did that. She did that in the first book. Well, I thought the bone hacker, it, which is the latest, I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. I, I read it in probably four days because I was just devouring it. Good. A big chunks at a time because it reads easy and it's wonderful to read someone You've gotten better with age, with you know, as far as like your ability to paint pictures with the least amount of words, and some of the things, your descriptions of some of the sunsets. I'm like, there's a master at their, at their job right no, there. Thank you. Well, I I never write a place is setting is a really strong component of my books. It's almost like another character in my books. So I'll never write about a place I haven't been. I've sent Tempe. She she's gotten around. She's been to. Yellowknife up, up in the Northwest Territories. She's been to Guatemala. She's been to, uh, where has she been? I went to Afghanistan on a USO tour, so she's been to Afghanistan. So this time, um, the Turks and Caicos seem like a very exotic environment. And I love, they're my favorite islands in the Caribbean. So I went there because I think you have to go to a place to absorb. You could Google Earth it, but you're not going to get the smells and the sounds and, you know, the tastes, the flavor of the food. And yeah, so hopefully my sunset was based on the actual, the script was based on a sunset I had seen. Well, I love, I love how much you love food or Tempe does, right? Except, except puffy food. Okay. That blew me away. I don't do puffy food. Well, that's me. Yeah, that's I, I don't like things like omelets. People go, oh, it's really light and fluffy. I don't like it light and fluffy. I had never heard it described that way. And I it cracked me up. I don't like puffy food. <laughs> and you're like going, what in the world is a puffy food? And then you describe the omelet. Like Cheetos, the big puffy Cheetos. Yes. Stuff. If it crunches, it's okay. Yeah, but it's it, it it's just fun to me and just the way you weave those in. And okay. I may I may have been reading the inside joke, but I thought I found it hilarious. I'm like, I'm hoping I was right. When you're talking to your, you know, when Tempe's talking to Harry, her sister, and you ask about the latest boyfriend's name, and then you ask if it's Benton. <laughs> she can't keep him straight. Well, I just love this the little slide, you know, I look at it as the side thing of, you know, a Patricia Cornwell does the same thing. And of course, Kate Scarpetta's boyfriend's name is, or husband's name is Benton. And I'm like, okay, oh was 
Oh my gosh, I didn't know. That was, I thought he was a Benson. Is he a Benton? No, it's Benton. Oops. Oh, well. Hey, listen, I'll give you an excuse. Tell everybody you're just that clever. <laughs> so, so from now on, you go, of course. I'm of course Kathy Flippin' likes. Right. Yeah. Of course I, I of course I gave, you know, Patricia Cornwell a little nudge in the, in the ribs. <laughs> but, but he wasn't named Benton, the, the boyfriend, as it turned out, right? I know. I just saw that and I read into it because, hey, oh. I'm a book nerd. I'm a okay. book nerd, and I freely admit it. And I, I, I love books, and I, I love the textile thing. And I also, I run, and I love to listen to audiobooks. Do you, do you still run? I do that. Well, I walk fast, walk on the beach in the yeah, and yeah, and I, I do. I put in my AirPods. Is that what they're called? And yes. listen audiobooks. Or when That's, I'm driving, I listen to audiobooks. Well, see, that's my thing. Is I, I if I'm listening to music, it becomes a measurement of time. Right. You just start going, I need to listen to 10 more songs or 12 more songs and then I'm done. Mm. But if somebody's telling you a story, it it takes away the time measurement. Yeah. You know, because now, now you're in. Now you're okay. I need to, I need, I just need to I need a couple of more chapters just because I don't want to end yeah. right here. No, and first thing you know, you've run 20 miles, right? It's something like, well, those days are gone, but I can still get eight or nine out, which is, you know, <laughs> at my age, that's that's enough humble brag for me today. Okay. Any age, that's good. <laughs> well, no, some of them are like, I, and I also have to say that if you guys haven't seen, you need to, you need to, I have already recommended your TED Talk to at least 10 people I know. Oh my goodness, that was a while ago. When I know, it? but it was brilliant. It's changed okay. the narrative, and it changed is nothing short of brilliant. Yeah, because it was a student, a very heavily student audience. So there well, was the whole TED Talk thing changed the narrative. That yeah, was a, it was the, the whole TED Talk thing was changing change the narrative, and the narrative. And, yeah. and you talked about your career path and yeah. and how many times you have literally just I'm going to turn the wheel this way. Yeah. That's true. I started out in academics and then I started doing forensic anthropology casework. And then based on that, I wrote commercial fiction and then went into the world of TV production. So I kept taking side paths. Well, and it all stemmed from your ability to write to me. That, that's that's what I take from it. And whether your papers and I can't imagine how many scientific papers you've published. Well, it's in that resume, that CV. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have no trouble sleeping. Right? <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you doing? I'm just reading some really weird anthropological forensic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it, the only thing that can do to get me to sleep even more is probably glue a skull back together. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> if I did that, then it would be everything I ever, ever needed. But but it, being able to write has been the basis for you. And I find it interesting. Your kids are, you, I call them kids, but, you know, your grown children are writers too. Two of the three. Um, my oldest daughter, Carrie, writes contemporary women's fiction. Um, she's a lawyer, but doesn't practice law. My son is a lawyer, but doesn't practice law. And he writes, he and I wrote a series of young adult books, we, the Virals series. We did six books together. <clears throat> and then he dumped me and signed his own contract. And so now he writes uh, middle school. He's got the Dark Deep series and the Nemesis series and another series. I don't know. He just did a graphic novel on, what was it? Lex and uh, Kent, I think. It was oh, well, Clark Kent and Lex Luthor? 
uh, it was Superman. Clark, Superman. Clark, Clark yeah, yeah. Kent and Lex yeah. Luthor. That's his, it. his ultimate enemy is Lex Luthor. He just did a graphic novel on that. Anyway, so those two are writers. My middle daughter has a real job. She's a, a she has a master's degree in nursing and teaches nursing at a university. Isn't it funny that they both went down the law path and got there and said, nah, not so much. I know, $200,000 for law school. But (laughs) 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 Have they, because they obviously saw you, did they, do they copy, not what you're doing, do they, did they learn and copy any of the process that you do? No, they're both completely different. My daughter, if she's in a good mood, she'll write the love scene. If she's in a bad mood, she'll write the death scene. I can't do that. I mean, I start with chapter one and work my way through the book. My son is the classic outliner. He has big whiteboards and color-coded cards, and he he outlines every scene, every act, every character. I, I don't do that. He's a plotter. I'm a pantser. No, he's a pantser. I'm a plot. No, he's a plotter. I'm more of a pantser. <laughs> but now you're very methodical in it, right? No, I mean, you go through it all the time and you you start, I mean, because I don't know how you would do it outside of chapter one. I mean, I would assume you'd have to get the plot and figure it out in your head and how it's going to be done and stuff like that. But then you write and then you rewrite and you rewrite. That's yeah. Yes. I mean, that's what authors have told me before. It's just, yep. it's not about the writing, it's about the rewriting. Rewriting, exactly. The tweaking and the polishing and the editing and the cutting. And yeah. Wow. And do you do most of that yourself or do you, do you have an editor? Well, you no, do, of course oh. I have an editor. I have a very, very good editor at Scribner. But I, when I turn it in, it, probably because Deja Dead, the first book, I just wrote it on my own. I didn't have a publisher. So I knew when I turned it in, it had to be the best it could possibly be. So I edited and edited and edited and edited before I mailed it in, which you did in those days. You mailed in hard, you know, hard copy. Um, and I, I still do it that way so that when I turn my book in, it's pretty clean. And the editing process for me is usually pretty painless. But I do have great editors. And you have to be just so flippin' organized. I mean, I I can't imagine you. Well, look at your background. You are organized. You don't get to have a a doctor in what what you're doing without being an organized individual. I'm fairly organized. Yes. At Reed Animal Hospital, they treat your pet as if it was their own. Now, I'm a very satisfied customer. I can tell you they mean that. It's not a chain. It truly is about helping you and your pet enjoy life together. Dr. David Reed and his entire staff take the time to get to know you and your pet. I can tell you what I like. He's helped me better understand what my dog Luna needs and how I can take care of her more efficiently and kindly. Find them online at ReedAnimalHospital.com. Two locations, Saratoga and Campbell. Little secret from me to you, Dr. Reed actually gives you his cell number so he can answer your questions and concerns. They really are committed to you and your pet. ReedAnimalHospital.com. I'm with Mike and Brenda Council with another real Mike Council plumbing and rooter story. And let's let's talk about the early days. What was it like? Well, when we first started, you know, the phone was by the bed. So just the two of you. Exactly. And I would answer the emergency She'd calls in the middle of the night. I'd wake up and answer them. Two o'clock, I'm headed out the door. So 30 years ago. 30 years and six months. But I hear Mike Council plumbing might have had its beginnings when you were, <laughs> what, a kid? Yeah, I grew up in a little one-room shack and we had an outhouse out back. An outhouse? That's correct. Oh, my. And, uh... Um, 
ended up with a great appreciation for indoor plumbing. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> and when you when you finally got it? It was a great day. Since 1993, the people of San Jose and the South Bay have trusted Mike Council Plumbing and Rooter for all their plumbing needs. From emergencies like a drain backup or water leak, maybe you need a new water heater or fixture installed, a gas appliance hooked up. Give Mike Council a call at 408-217-1002 or go to mcplumbing.com, an official partner of the San Jose Sharks. You're in clean hands with Mike Council Plumbing and Rooter. I was talking to Jonathan Mayberry and he told me with his, with his books, he said, I will simply never run out of ideas. I, I will never run out of ideas. I'm wondering, how about you with, with Tempe? Oh, I'm, I'll never run out of ideas. I've worked on so many cases when I was still actively doing, doing forensic work. But also, I've constantly got my antennae out for things, for whatever I'm reading or talking to colleagues or reading the forensic journals or attending the forensic meetings and listening to presentations. I'm always on the lookout for idea, story ideas. And you've never stopped doing that. You still go to all of those things. You still be. Well, during COVID, they didn't happen, of course. But yeah. everything's geared back up now, and I do attend. Uh, it's the American Academy of Forensic Sciences. How I haven't asked that question. How did COVID affect? Because yours is a single, solitary profession when it comes to writing a book. When it comes to the writing, uh, I you know I, I kind of enjoyed COVID because I went to my beach house. My two daughters were there, and four of my grandkids, and we just like had a little kibbutz thing going for ho- however many months. We were all COVIDed. In and I got a lot of writing done during that time period because you couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> well, and we listen. I never did anything from a home studio. Uh, everything I did was at a studio. That's the change. My life has become a little bit more like yours, and I think most of us have. Of course, now everybody's yeah. waiting to come back, but we still. I, I still think this will always be a part of how we do things now. It has really changed touring. You used to go city to city to city to city, like 15 cities in two weeks. And then you would go to the TV station, go to the radio station, go to the newspaper to be interviewed. Now it was a very brief physical tour for cities. And um, I'm doing a lot of it this way from my, you know, from the comfort of my home. Well, and that's got to be nice, you know, just to say you don't have to. And not it's. In the age of COVID, you have far less colds and flus now, don't you? Because you're not interacting with people. Probably. I don't sound like it with the with the cough, but yeah, probably. Oh, no. And you save so much time. I'm actually able to write, like, this is my last interview today, and I will um, get back and to the book. I'm writing book 23 right now. So I was going to say, if I have to go back to a hotel and then spend the night in the hotel and then get up and go to an airport, you know, I probably wouldn't be motivated to write. How many hours will you sit down? Like today, typical thing, this afternoon, when you sit down, how long will you plan on writing? Or is there a plan? Well, a typical day, I wouldn't be doing all these interviews. Yeah. Um, but I try to get at it by 8 or 8.30 and stay with it until 2, 2.30. Then I break and have some lunch and do other things. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine that. I I I write a little. I'm not, I'm not writing a book, just a little subset. Sub, and I'll sit yeah. back and write for 45 minutes and be like, okay, I, I never want to do that again until I have to next week. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I'm writing just something that'll take you four minutes to read. And then it's like, I can't imagine sitting down and going, okay, do you go, I need this many pages? I need this many pages today? Yeah, I don't think in terms of page, I don't definitely don't think in terms of words. 
you know, some people say I'm going to do 1,200 words in a day or whatever. I don't think that way at all for the daily output or for the length of the manuscript. Uh, I think in terms of chapters that, and each chapter is a certain number of pages. And if I can get through one or two pages in a day, that's a really good day. Wow. That's, see, I, I just love that. And the fact that you've written so many of these books and the, and the character still continues to evolve. And like I said, I always look forward to it because you're going to say something in there that not only I'm going to learn, but you're going to entertain the heck out of me, you know? And, and I, I get a kick by how much Tempe enjoys Ryan. I know I'm, I'm call me, call me a sap, but I, I, you know, you can tell he loves her, but I love how fond she is of. Him. Well, they're in a pretty good place in the last book, cold, cold bones. Um, they're finally cohabitating. She is remodeling her townhouse in Charlotte. They both sold their condos in Montreal and bought a flashy new, uh, high rise condo. So they're cohabitating on both ends of their geographically complex relationship. Which stems from your very own. Um, well, I commute. I go back and forth, right? That's what I'm saying. I mean, you yeah. you do the North Carolina to Montreal thing, which is kind of, you don't find two people, you don't, you don't find a lot of people who share those as cities that well, they spend time in. It's, they're very different. Different language, different climate, different you know, culture, really. It's, when did you speak? When did you learn French? Oh, back in the, what was it? Early 90s, I guess. Um, I just decided to take a French 101 class. And just because I thought an educated person should speak speak French. And then this offer came through for something called National Faculty Exchange at a faculty meeting. It's It's a program whereby a professor from one institution changes places with a professor from another institution. And there was a gentleman at one of the English language universities in Montreal who wanted to come to UNC Charlotte. So I, I thought, may we? <laughs> I've had one class. I can do this. So I applied. I've had one class. I've had one class. And I never went to the language labs because it conflicted with my teaching schedule. But yeah, so off I went to Montreal. Oh my gosh. And, and it clicked for you as far as the language. I took French in college, and because I was an English lit major, and you had to take a, a foreign language, and at the end, the, the final exam was you had to do a five or ten minute speech, right, in French. I got up I, the night before. I wrote out jokes in French, and I stood up and told jokes. Okay. And, and the professor was so enamored of having someone going, not going, mon mère is, mon père is, but, you know, comes down, and he would. Help me finish the jokes. He'd be like, oh, so you don't say that. And at the end, he pulled me aside and he goes, I know you can't spell, speak French even a little bit, but I loved how you thought differently. So I'm going to give you a B and get out of my class. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fair no, enough. no return, no rendezvous for you. <laughs> it just never made sense to me. I could not, you know. French is hard. It's it's really hard. Spanish is easy. If it's written, you you pronounce it. French, there are all these letters in the words that you 
they have no purpose. <laughs> you don't pronounce them. So well, yeah, I, and then the rules change depending on which letters in going into what letters and and all the other stuff. It's like I I don't get it, but I enjoy like when you're when you're in uh, when Tempe is in 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 uh, Montreal and they're speaking. You go ahead and tell yourself, all right, she's writing in English, but you know they're speaking in French. Right, right. And if I use a French term, I always. Uh, identify it. Uh, what am I trying to say? Interpret it, translate it within the next line or two. And when you, you know, when you, and I love when you have to, how do you know when you have to explain something, right? When you're saying something and you go, uh, yeah. I better throw in a definition here. Yeah. Sometimes that's my editor. Sometimes my editor, I will take, take it for granted that people know what, you know, a, I don't know, a, a metacarpal is. And he'll say, you know, you maybe maybe use a simpler term or explain that. So he does well, bring me in on that. I I just find it again. My quotes, what you did, I I I, I found another one. I wrote down because I wrote these down because I love them so much. My my id was logging minutia like a court reporter on steroids. <laughs> I like. <laughs> I, I just know. love the quantum the you know, and again, I'm asking you to share creative, you know, I, I, I talk to songwriters all the time and, and I always tell them songwriting is literally catching smoke and showing it to you, which is which is what you're doing. But it's just hilarious to me that you would come up with that. Did you hear it or is it just something that you just said? I just I try to make things up. I try not to use cliches ever. Um there may be a few that, that sneak in, but I I do try to not use cliches or. Well, I, as you can tell, fan. I'm a fan to just go through it and through it like that. I also yeah. love how you incorporate weather, especially in the last few books. Is like there's, there's, you know, you've dealt with hurricanes and blizzards and snows. And I mean, <laughs> it's fun to write weather. It is fun to write weather. I think so. And that may, and here is part of the opening of the story. The man is struck by lightning up on the bridge. We're all watching the uh, fire. Well, they're all watching the fireworks. And he, Tempe and Ryan get caught in the storm in a small boat on the river. And he gets struck by lightning. And that's how she's brought into the case to investigate who he is. This guy that has no yeah. idea. And we found out that Tempe doesn't like a, some of Ryan's friends. Yeah, she didn't like the guy with the boat. <laughs> she was not very forgiving about that. But, you know, in his defense, it was a very nice night when they went out. And this storm, was it was a microburst. You know, it was very sudden and very violent. Well, my first thought, and, and, and it, it, it could be very wrong, but I'm like, oh, boy, that guy dies in a few books. <laughs> well, she has said she's not going to see him anymore. So. Yeah, well, she's not going to say, or rather, better, he he's probably not going to see her anymore. You know, just yeah. uh, float that idea out. Book number twenty-seven. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Friend, bones of friends, something along those lines. Former <laughs> friends, right? I have so enjoyed, and I know your voice is shot, so I'm going to give you a break on this. And I'm, I know I'm the last one today, but I've so enjoyed it because I'm such a fan. I've, I've loved your work, and I will continue to love your work. I'm so excited about the next one. The uh, the lady who reads your audiobooks is amazing. I've listened to a number of those on on the rights, and I just think, I think she's just she. She captures Tempe for me. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Good. She's done a lot of my books. Well, have, 
when you do when you used to do the, the physical appearances, would you read the books? Would you do a reading? No, that's a lot of work. I no. Uh, but that was it, in the past. Did you ever do that? Did you ever do readings? I have never read. You mean read my own books? Yeah, the yeah, in front of an audience. No, I've done. Yeah, I've done brief readings in front of audiences. I, I don't like to read. I don't like to be read to, and I don't like to read aloud. But I'll do it <laughs> if I have to. <laughs> I I will I have a guilty pleasure but I will read some things aloud simply because it makes me it makes me put in the inflections more and I'm just saying in my by myself right yeah, yeah. so like I will read because I I want I want to get the inflections because when I'm when I'm reading I tend to read fast right your brain's just absorbing when you read yeah. out loud you start feeling the pace of the pentameter true that's a good point so that's that's just me well. I am so thrilled. Please, folks, the Bone Hacker is the latest, and I hope I hope we do this again on the next one. Absolutely, absolutely. Call my publisher, publicist. Yes, I will. I have so enjoyed this, and I thank you for your time. KathyRags.com. Check it out. Amazing, and just such an honor to spend time with you this morning. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye now. Thanks for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe, download a few more episodes, and please leave a review. Reviews really help us get this out to more people like you. Also, we'd love to hear what your favorite part was. Be sure to join us on social media to engage in even more unexpected conversations. Until next time.